Hey there, this is Grace O'Brien on the campus of Huntington University. You're listening to Rooted. Make sure you subscribe to Rooted wherever you listen to podcasts. And you can find us by searching Forrester Radio Rooted. And you can also catch Rooted every Thursday evening at 7 on 105.5 WQHU. And always, you can stream Forrester Radio anytime, anywhere on ForresterRadio.com. Today, I'm sitting down with Dr. Mark Fairchild. Joining me today is Dr. Mark Fairchild, one of the professors here at HU, and you have a doctorate in Bible and religion, correct? Well, it's in uh, biblical studies, actually, concentrating on New Testament studies. Uh, so you just came back a couple weeks ago from a J-term trip to Israel and Jordan with a bunch of students. What was your experience on it? Well, you were there, Grace, so you know a little bit of the experience. It was wonderful. It's always a lot of fun to travel with students to the Holy Lands and to see how they react to uh, the places where Jesus and Paul and and others traveled, and it uh, makes the Bible come alive. So it's a great experience, and I know you had a good experience as well. (laughs) A lot of fun. So I noticed the one time when I was in your office that you have a lot of books, especially ones written in your name. Uh, How do you do your research and get all these publicized? Publishing's not always easy. Um, And for that matter, I don't have that many books. But I have a lot of books in the office. Not all of them are books that I've published. But I go to Turkey every year. Uh, That's where I do most of my research. And uh, there are things that I am finding that I find fascinating. And so I write about these things that I'm finding. And uh, people want to know about them. So as a consequence, I have several publications for the Biblical Archaeology Review, which is the world's largest publisher of uh, biblical archaeological discoveries in the world. And it's a way of getting things out uh, so that people can uh, see what's new, what's being discovered. And so I have uh, several articles with the Biblical Archaeology Review. And then uh, a couple of years ago, I've had a couple of publishers ask me about writing a book. And so I, uh, I have a book that's available. You can find it on Amazon. It's published by Hendrickson's Publishers. Actually, it's in the second edition. It's called Christian Origins in Ephesus and Asia Minor. So can you tell me about all the relationships you have made? while going on these trips? Yeah, wonderful relationships with students, of course, with others. Many times there are adult groups that have asked me to take them over to the Holy Lands, and I'm happy to do so. So a lot of new friendships. I have taken groups of professors over to the Holy Lands, Turkey in particular, uh, professors who are considering perhaps taking student groups over there. They've never been to Turkey before, and so I have conducted several tours with as many as 30 and 40 professors from the states, seminary professors, university professors, college professors. And that's a a thrilling experience also because these people have a, a great deal of knowledge based upon the scriptures, but they've never actually been there and set foot in the land. And it's, uh, it's really exciting to, to engage them in conversations and to show them the land. Then in addition to the people that I'm traveling around with, um, I travel with many tour guides that I have come to know and have become very close with many of these tour guides. Some of them have become Christians. Um, this last trip, as you know, I uh, baptized one of those tour guides. They asked me if I would baptize them in the Jordan River, which I was happy to do. And then uh, I've baptized others as well. So that's that's been a thrilling experience for me. And then additional relationships come from when I travel on my own. And many times I will go to uh, local cities, towns, and villages and meet people that I've never met before and have been impressed with their incredible hospitality. 
Some of these people have fed me. Some of these people have taken me into their homes. Some of these people have housed me. People that I've never met before in my life. But yet uh, they're interested in seeing an American and, and spending some time with an American. And they're very proud of their land, their home. And so they help me out with uh, my travels. Yeah, one of our tour guides, Yusef, would always say whenever we were in Jordan was, look, look how beautiful my country is. Do you remember that? Yes. He's very proud, of course, of Jordan, and Jordan is a very beautiful country. And uh, like I say, these people are proud of where they live, just as we are as Americans, very proud of where we live. But they have something that that we don't have. And that's one of the reasons why I spend every summer uh, tromping around the uh, wilderness in Turkey is because I'm interested in those antiquities, in those uh, ancient cities that we know very little about. I'm trying to publish and to discover and to reveal to others what uh, what can be seen in these far off distant lands. Since you mentioned discoveries, would you mind talking about the synagogue and where exactly you found it? Uh, back in 2007, uh, I was traveling in uh, Cilicia. Cilicia is the Roman province of where Paul lived for you know his early life. And if you go southwest of Tarsus, Paul's hometown, you get into a very rugged region, which is called Rough Cilicia. It was called Rough Cilicia in the past for good reason. And that is, it's in the foothills of the Taurus Mountains, and there are incredibly deep canyons, ravines that are created by rivers and streams that have gone from the mountains down to the Mediterranean. And it's difficult to travel in those regions, but this was a region that was heavily populated there were cities, towns, villages, and fortresses that are located in this region. This region is not well known and has not been well explored because of the difficulties of traveling there. Uh, there are not many roads. The roads that are there are dirt roads, which are generally not in good shape. And while there, at a particular location, uh, there was a temple that was visible from a distance, very well-constructed temple. It turns out to be a temple that was dedicated to the god Hermes. And that was my objective, is to uh, go through. There was heavy brush there that I had to push through. And then there's a, uh, a central ridge, a steep central ridge. And I had to negotiate the ridge, so I'm traveling up and across to get to the top when I noticed what appeared to be a menorah. The menorah is a distinct Jewish symbol. And menorahs oftentimes would be at the lintel, that is the top of doorways into synagogues, and that's what I was looking at. And it surprised me. So I took a bunch of photographs of it and explored the building a little bit, and then proceeded on and examined the Hermes Temple. At that time, I didn't realize what I had discovered and if anybody else had ever seen this before. So I spent the next two or three years looking through journals and articles that pertain to the region to see if anybody had ever been there before, and found out that the only person that had ever been in that area, aside from the local people, no doubt local people have, you know, been around there before, but there was a British explorer by the name of J. Theodore Bent, and he was there more than 125 years ago. And I know he was at this site, even though the site is not named, it's an unknown city, uh, he described it perfectly. You know, the Hermes Temple, there were a couple of Greek inscriptions, ancient Greek inscriptions there, and uh, I saw those Greek inscriptions, so I know that we're talking about the same place. The one thing he didn't mention was the synagogue. And it's not surprising because of the heavy brush and the difficulties of getting around the site that he just didn't notice that there was a synagogue there. So I published the article in the Biblical Archaeology Review, 
And uh, since then, I've had other people contact me about it. I was invited, for instance, to Vienna, Austria, at the University of Vienna, and they put on a conference to discuss this and some other discoveries. They invited um, Jewish scholars in particular from across the world, you know, from New York City. Uh, We had Steve Fine, who was on campus, actually, uh, in the fall. Steve has become one of my friends, and he's a, uh, one of the world's top Jewish scholars, uh, invited Zev Weiss from Hebrew University in Jerusalem to come to the conference. And so I presented photographs and, and gave a lecture describing what it is that I had seen, all the evidence that indicates that this is indeed a synagogue. Uh, so there's a, a, a menorah on the lintel, and then on the inside there's a second menorah that's smaller. Uh, there is a mikvah, which is a Jewish ritual bath. And so I presented all of that evidence and it was well-received at Vienna University, so a lot of good comments. And none of those people have ever been there. And a lot of these people, of course, there's a great deal of interest. But to really confirm the discovery, we need to have scholars visit the site because they're, pay, they're taking a lot of this uh, evidence on trust of what I've discovered. Of course, I have photographic evidence, that it, so they know that there's something there, but uh, it's best to have other scholars come and archaeologists come and, and examine what's there, and it really needs to be excavated. But the problem with excavating the site is that it's very remote, and excavations cost a lot of money, and to assemble a team of archaeologists, get the money together, and to be able to get into the site with the equipment that's needed, as it's going to be a tall order. Uh, would you mind uh, talking about how you decided to become a Christian in your journey thus far in the faith? Well, that's that could take a long time also. I did not grow up in a Christian family. My parents were not Christians. But uh, I went to the Pennsylvania State University, and I studied biology, concentrated on genetics. I did not believe that this world came into existence atheistically. And so after I graduated from Penn State... I was able to read things that I wanted to read. When you're a student, you don't have time to read, you know, additional stuff. You've got to read everything pertaining to your classes. So I uh, began to read some things, and I really believe that God was putting things in front of me. I don't think it was an accident or a coincidence. I, I wasn't looking for religious literature, but God was speaking to me through the things that I began to read. As a consequence of that, I started reading the Bible also, and... Uh, On one evening, I was working a night shift at a police station. I was a dispatcher. I uh, was reading the scriptures and just really felt a strong sense of God's presence. I turned my life over to Christ at that time, and it was an indescribable experience where I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that there was a God and that God was there with me. And uh, it was not a vision. I didn't have a vision. I didn't hear a voice or anything of that sort. But in an inexplicable way, God let me know of his presence. And so I've been a Christian since then. It's changed the course of my life. That's the reason why here at Huntington University, I am not teaching biology, teaching something totally different. And that is uh, Greek and the New Testament scriptures. Where did you go to school then to uh, get your doctorate for biblical studies? I uh, went down to a small school in Georgia to get a second bachelor's degree because I felt ill-prepared to jump into any kind of ministry. Uh, So I went to a small school called uh, Tekoa Falls College. At that time, I felt that God was calling me into a ministry of some sort, and I assumed that it would be a pastoral ministry. But as I continued my studies, 
um, God was redirecting that path into teaching at a college or university or seminary. I got uh, grades that I didn't anticipate. You know, for somebody who wasn't uh, raised in the church, wasn't, uh, you know, a product of Christian parents, I got straight A's. I graduated summa cum laude from that school, then went to seminary in Kentucky at Asbury Seminary. And uh, a lot of the professors were confirming my call and encouraging me in my call. And so from, you know, Asbury Seminary in Kentucky, I received a Master of Divinity, which is a three-year program. I actually completed it in two years because I was married at that time. We had our first child, which we did not anticipate. We thought that we would have children after I finished things up, so I wanted to rush. So I I finished the three-year program in two years and then uh, went to Drew University in New Jersey where I received a uh, Master of Philosophy and PhD. And when I was completing my work at Drew University, I got a letter in the mail from a small school out in Indiana that I had never heard of before. And they asked if I would be interested in taking a position in the faculty. I thought, well, this is kind of interesting. I've never been to Indiana before. So they flew me out here to Huntington and interviewed me. They offered me the job. I took it. And I've been here now for 30 years. So that's kind of in a nutshell, briefly, you know, my personal journey, you know, from uh, not knowing the Lord at all, becoming a Christian, my education, and how I ended up here in, uh, in Indiana. So how'd your family take that, finding out that their son or brother is now a Christian? Well, uh, yeah, that's, that's another story. <laughs> um, I remember the night after I returned from the police station, having made my commitment to the Lord. I uh, announced that to my family, and they kind of shrugged it off like uh, kids go through phases. And I remember my younger brother sneering at me and making the comment, wait a year, and he'll be just like he was. You know, my brother, my younger brother, did not believe that this would last, that it was, you know, just something that, uh, you know, interested me. But today, my brother is a Christian. And over the years, uh, my two brothers became Christians. Uh, my mother and my father became Christians. And the Lord has slowly been working in our family in ways that were beyond my expectations. I really thought to myself, even as my brother had made that statement, I says, he's a hard nut to crack. I thought the chances of him becoming a Christian are unlikely. But you can never underestimate the power of God and what God can do. Oh, God is alive and, and working. And uh, that's why we pray is because we never know what can happen and how far God's grace will reach. Okay, thank you so much for uh, being part of this podcast, and I hope all of our listeners out there really enjoyed this. Thank you, Dr. Mark Fairchild, for joining us on this episode of Rooted, and thank you for listening. Make sure you subscribe to Rooted on your preferred podcast app. And remember, you can listen to Rooted on 105.5 WQHU over the air in Huntington or anytime, anywhere at ForresterRadio.com.